Thank you, Dan Hartman, for your rendition of our theme, and welcome to episode 17 of the Champagne Comedy Podcast, where we talk about the best Australian comedy show from the 90s ever made, The Late Show, and other degeneration comedy tidbits. My name is Matt, and joining this podcast today is Alison, Daniel, Kim, and Prue. Hi. Hello. Hey, guys. And you know what? We've got so much crammed into this episode today. We've also got another special guest reviewer. And because this person was complaining about all the times that I've gone. (laughs) Yeah. So we've dragged him in as promised in episode 16. Sucked in. You're here. Please welcome Stephen. Yes. Live from New New York on Saturday night. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Yes, it is. It is Rimshot Cop Stephen himself. Uh, coming to you live from California, actually, at, at the glorious, uh, sexy new time of one thirty in the morning. <laughs> ah, so oh, you're only just idiot. beginning tipsy. <laughs> exactly. This is actually this is this is great timing. I just finished my uh, my other podcast reviewing the Late Show with David Letterman. So this is a great <laughs> segue into this one. <laughs> Oh, he's a joke stealer already. Hooray. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and that, there's actually a bit of history. Uh, you're not just a, a Late Show fan as well. Um, you've got some connection with Kim as well with a certain other show. Yes. So um, I I was lucky to get exposed to Late Show fairly early on. I would say probably maybe late season one. Um, but, you know, fast forwarding to that, uh, from that, um, Kim and I have actually been in the joy of sets together um, that – I think very short-lived eight, eight, eight episode series, um, you know, and uh, I think while Kim had uh, some decent on-screen time with with uh, with with Tino mentioned in the previous episode, I, ha- I had about one fourth of a second on, on screen. But I'm also a big Get This fan, um, so a big shout out to all of our fellow Get This fans out there. Yes, because uh, with this podcast, the view is magnificent. You'll bar up. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> hey, it's, guess what? It's time for. <laughs> Yes, and you know what? We're going to go straight into our competition, which is the favourite quote competition, and we, we've got an extra prize or two, which I'll mention shortly, but here are the entries so far. Ooh. No, I am not the man from the Where's Wally books. I'm tired of people walking up to me and saying, found you. What's all that about? I made love to her like a tiger. Great from uh, Dominic. How are you? Do you believe in mental telepathy? No, I hear you think. I may be ugly, but at least I'll never be as ugly as an angular webber. And now we've got another entry. <laughs> you forgot the bad language? Shit. Oh, that's okay. I love it. Oh, you know. <laughs> now that's acting. Yes. Okay, now here's the thing. Because we've got so many entries for this, we're just going to allow even our guests to come on to actually enter, and that's actually Stephen. <laughs> yes, yes, thank you. There was my uh, my timorous voice. I think that was that was maybe take five. I really want to get the shit right, um, and before mm. I send that to Matt. Well, it was very, very good. Very good. Yeah. Thank you. And because of your entry, we've got an extra uh, prize or two in our prize pack. <laughs> Now, you haven't seen these physically, but just to prove that these are legit, first is that Ripper album from episode one. (laughs) 
A real butt cheek? <laughs> yes. Not mine. Uh, <laughs> a book of uh, fake tan. Sorry, I'm just trying to shuffle through as much of these as possible. The, the most awesome... He's, he, he's actually holding them up to the microphone. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Unopened, any questions for Ben DVD? Wow. Starring Mortal Kombat's Josh Lawson as well. So don't forget that. <laughs> yes, yes. The D-Gen Bumper Book of Aussie Heroes. And I just realised I've got like a blurred background on my uh, webcam. So, um, yeah, and I'm discussing this on the podcast, so it doesn't really help either. Uh, and, and, oh, also, Lucky Grills, Hot Off the Grill Tape, Volume 3. Out of, out of a six. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, Flemish Dog on Twitter has the, the entire collection. So, yeah. Now, now Matt, Matt is, that, is that a cassette or like a single? Cassette. A full oh, cassette. The full, the full thing. Well, I, I can confirm to the... Barjas is too big for a single. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Barjas is a C90 minimum, okay? Oh, yes. Yes. And here's two extra prize bits. Ready? I've got to do one there and wait for the sound effect to stop. It is volume one and two. No, sorry, not volume one and two. Season one and two of Utopia on DVD. Oh, yeah, and that's yes. all thanks to uh, Kim, who managed to rescue it from the bargain bin at the Australia, <laughs> Australia Post Office before it closed. Um, so. ABC store. I oh, sent yeah, it sorry. via Australia Post. Yeah, sorry. Uh, it took about two weeks <laughs> to, get, <laughs> to get to Queensland. Yeah. I was express then. Yes. <laughs> uh, so uh, that's it. So all you have to do is record your favourite quote. There'll be plenty in this episode as well and send it to champagnelateshow at gmail.com or send us a tweet at TLSchampagne if you need further instructions. At the time of this recording, thanks to TV Flashback AU, it's 26 years since the first episode of this broadcast. In an attempt to crack down on crime, the police department has created an elite new team, a team that speaks the language of the streets, young, hip, in touch with the now generation, Funky Squad. Yes. I am such years. a fan of, of the Funky Squad theme song. It is so perfect. Yeah, I I've not seen that since it aired originally. It does feel like the the sort of the the, the black sheep of the of the working dog slash degeneration family and a somewhat of a lost cult classic. Because it sort of came came in sort of I think between Frontline and the panel if, I, if, I, if I've got my timing yeah, right. That's right. So yeah. right, and so it was only about was it like seven episodes long? I think Funky Squad before it became a TV show it was a radio serial. Growing crime, the police developed an elite new team, a team that would speak the language of the streets. Funky Squad, young, hip, in touch with the now generation. Funky Squad, Grab, Cassie, Sticks, and Poncho. Together they are Funky Squad. Ooh, Funky. Squad. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that came out um, at the beginning of 94. I remember because I recorded them yeah. all. I actually got up. So I'm looking, I'm, looking, I'm looking it up. Um, it was 1995, I think, wasn't it? It was April 24, 1995 to June 5, 1995. And in fact, it was seven episodes, me being the nerdy pedant that I am. Steve, you've got some feedback for us too. Yeah, so in the in the uh, I think episode one or episode two, um, you all talked about the fact 
there's some link to a UK series called The Merry Whitehouse Experience. Uh, about, about 10 years ago, I discovered uh, a show that I think most people know, but I always think people don't know about, called uh, SCTV or Second City TV, which was a Canadian sketch comedy show that you can definitely see a lot of degeneration and late show sketches sort of coming through as from like from the spirit of, of that series. And um, even though it's sort of been lost to time, never been re-released on in, in its entirety, you know, it starred, you know, John Candy, Eugene Levy, Rick Moranis, uh, Catherine O'Hara, uh, Harold Ramis, Martin Short, and many others. And in fact, it's actually the series where, I have a newfound respect for Rick Moranis. I always thought, you know, the kind of like, you know, the, the dweeby guy from Ghostbusters and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Um, he has this amazing uh, comedic depth to him. When you're alone and life is making you lonely, you can always go downtown. When you've got worries, all the noise and the hurry seems to help, I know. Listen to the music of the traffic in the city. Later on the sidewalk where the neon signs are pretty. Happy again. So maybe I'll see you there. We can forget all our troubles, forget all our cares and go downtown. No finer place for sure. Downtown. I can't wait to be downtown. Don't sleep in the subway. So that was Rick Moranis as Tom Monroe. Imagine a sort of very quaffed hair lounge singer character taking songs that actually a lot like Richard Cheese for us, get this fans out there. Um, and that was a recurring character of, of his on, on the show. Uh, I think one more we can, we can uh, listen to uh, a shorter one in again, given the Tony has also done this particular celebrity coming soon to SCTV taxi driver with Woody Allen. A special presentation on SCTV's Movie of the Week. I know what you're thinking, that, that violence really isn't my thing, you know, that my idea of violence is like a, like a pink shirt with purple pants, but I have to ask you something. Um, are you talking to me? I mean, there, there's, there's nobody else here. I mean, you're talking to me? Who, who are you talking to? Woody Allen <laughs> is talking to you in Taxi Driver. Thursday at nine on SCTV. Yes, so that was the uh, those of you who have seen that film where Robert De Niro has the gun in, in the in the in the sleeve of his pocket in in that particular sketch and sort of flies out, drops and bullet flies. So. Um, hello out there to any of our fellow SCTV fans and uh, hello to Rick Moranis, who I'm sure is listening as well. <laughs> <laughs> of course, he's our number one listener. Yeah. The, the, the Tom, the song sung by Tom actually reminds me a lot of um, SNL kind of late 70s, early 80s. Um, Dan Aykroyd had that kind of lounge singer character who, do, do, you, yes. do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, yeah. and I, I think you could really probably argue that, that the late show drew influences from um, SNL probably and, and various other shows that we've mentioned, Mary Whitehouse and, and Second City and, and also, but what was happening on the live scene in Melbourne. So a real kind of bowerbird range of uh, influences, but, but yeah, all, yeah. all part of what was happening at the time and, and in the decades or so before. And, and telling friends of mine, Americans, who obviously have no idea what this late show is, um, mm-hmm. about, you know, I'm coming to do a podcast and, you know, 
I, I would initially say oh, it's like it was like SNL, but SNL to me is more like sort of high school level kind of sketch comedy. Yeah. It's meant to be not quite as as controversial. Although in the last couple of years, they have definitely dipped their toe a little bit deeper into the into the slightly more spicier uh, area of comedy. But I think SCTV were as you know far more sort of like you know break the fourth wall, take take the piss out out of oneself kind of comedy, and so. Um, again, I think SCTV is known to people of a certain age. Otherwise, you know, SNL, I guess, is, is, is a close enough comparison, I guess, to the late show for anyone in, in living in the United States. The best um, version of comedy version of Downtown is done by Rick Mail in Kevin Turvey. Go look that up. <laughs> <laughs> hilarious. And also, I've just got to quickly throw in, uh, May 1, uh, all of Frontline and all of Utopia are being screened on Netflix, even though some of them have been on Stan. So Netflix, there we go, May 1. One other thing to note, actually, um, on Monday, last Monday, uh, Judith Lucy was on Malloy talking oh, yes. about her new book. So they, they didn't talk about The Late Show at all, but it's always nice to hear two members of The Late Show just having a funny chat. And this was a, this was a really great chat. So check it out on the podcast. All right, it's time for Daniel and your program guide. Okay, so uh, we're looking at a critical guide uh, to the week's TV, um, if you can call Ross Warnke a critic, of course. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yep, so... Full support there, yep. <laughs> so he gets to put in his little comments uh, next to the listings in the TV guide uh, on a Saturday in the Melbourne age. So we'll start with Channel 9. Uh, on Hey Hey It's Saturday, uh, earlier on in the night, we had uh, Wendy Matthews, James Rain, Daryl Braithwaite, uh, Reckless Hearts, and the Tap Brothers. I don't know how many are in the Tap Brothers fraternity, but um, I don't know, enough to make a song and dance about it anyway. <laughs> I, I think I remember the Tap Brothers. It, it was, was it David Atkins and, and several friends, I think? Was it closed captioning for James Rain's performance? Uh, it doesn't say here, actually. Then after Hey Hey, we had a 1956 Western called The Searchers. Uh, says Warnicky, some say this is one of John Wayne's finest films. Others argue that it's not because his character is poorly developed. But there is no denying that the story about Wayne's search for his niece who has been kidnapped by Indians is well told with Jeffrey Hunter and Natalie Wood. Then over on 10, we've got uh, Return of the Musketeers from 1989, directed by Richard Lester, but not a patch on his original Three Musketeers 15 years earlier. The confusing plot is built around lots of well-staged swashbuckling, but the zaniness of the original is missing, with Michael York and Oliver Reed. Then on SBS, we've got a 1953 French melodrama called Madame D. Says Warnicky... The tale of some diamond earrings sold by a socialite, played by Daniel Dariu, bought by her husband, played by Charles Boyer, for his mistress who gambles them away to the original socialite's lover, played by Vittorio De Sica. Delightfully frothy stuff from uh, director Max Ophuls. It's actually a good film, man. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't it as frothy as uh, Warnicky suggests? Uh, no, I remember it being good. It's a good romantic comedy kind of. Go for it, everyone. Madam D. <laughs> yeah, certainly a, a lot more highbrow than uh, what Channel 7 is showing. They've actually they've got a bit of a very racy triple feature. They started at 8.30 with Up the Creek, a 1983 teen <laughs> comedy starring Tim Matheson and Dan Monaghan. Four students at a down-and-out university are offered degrees if they can win a raft race for their college. Generally absurd and pitched at adolescence, says Warnicky. Uh, and that was followed at 10.30 by Revenge of the Nerds from 1984. 
College students who reckon they are being persecuted by most of the others join forces to fight back. Silly rather than funny. Uh, and then at 12.25, uh, the 1982 Australian comedy starring Chris Haywood, The Clinic. So, uh, yeah, uh, fans of Warren Persson may love that one. Uh, yes, <laughs> I was about to say. Uh, one, one, one quick uh, factoid about Up the Creek, uh, directed by uh, Robert uh, Butler, who also directed The Computer War Tennis Shoes. Um, that <laughs> film also starred Tim Matheson from Animal House and The West Wing. And uh, for the probably 0.5 Babylon 5 fans out there listening to this particular podcast, uh, Stephen First as well, who played Veer, is also a character and actually appears briefly on the actual um, stage uh, during the monologue. So before the late show, we had uh, another episode of Bread and then Ross Warnicke's, um little critique of the late show. Again, he says, it's an uneven locally made live comedy sketch series. Jeez. Um, yeah, I know. Uh, then at 11 o'clock, order in the house. Again, Warnicky says, worthy but generally dull compilation of the week's highlights from pe- uh, federal parliament. Isn't <laughs> that a review? Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> to, to be fair, they haven't got a whole heap to work with there. <laughs> Yeah, well, I no, mean, it's, it's not. It's eating. There was a lot to work. Oh, that, that's true. Actually, <laughs> if, if Keating wasn't in in a mood to kind of you know use sort of elaborate metaphor that week, you know, Keating's out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then if you're not turned on by uh, ordering the house uh, by midnight, you definitely will be with Rage um, featuring Prince. Oh, formally. Yeah, I should point out um, I've got my November 1992 copy of Smash Hits magazine with me here, so I was just reacquainting myself with uh, the era. Um, Prince was uh, in the top ten with My Name is Prince, and in that particular magazine they reviewed his uh, his new album as well, Love Symbol, and number one was Achy Breaky Heart, unfortunately. So I think 1992 had some fantastic hits and, and a few ones that we May we may like to forget. Ninety five percent of the the songs are really good. And and just just quickly, uh, you know, with the American uh, uh, flavor coming from myself, uh, the, on that particular night, uh, Saturday Night Saturday Night Live uh, had special guest Michael Keaton, who would have probably been promoting Batman Returns, with musical musical guest Morrissey, assuming he actually turned up. Oh. <laughs> Well, good. All right, that's it. Yeah, we'll get into it now. We're season one, episode seventeen of the Late Show broadcast Saturday, November fourteenth, nineteen ninety two. Well, we think it was broadcast because ABC did regret that the episode of the Late Show wasn't going to be shown. Instead, they played a replacement program, a whole lot of living, the lifestyle program with a difference, where every ten seconds you see a shot of a mountain bike. <laughs> <laughs> What a, what a fantastic caricature of those lifestyle shows at the mm-hmm. time, which, you know, the sh- which later on in the show we'll, even, we'll see even more of that. Um, the, I think the, the doctor from this particular sketch is also the, the gentleman who was in the uh, the ad about the, the bank. And, you know, we're... Yeah, hardly permanent, permanent building society. Right, there's, there's only yeah. one teller and none of the pens work. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that, that, you know, that explains why he's able to swing golf clubs in there. You know, he's, <laughs> he's, he's a doctor. He's a commodore, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it also gave me, gave me big flashbacks to, you know, remember when we had to actually write in for a fact sheet? Mm. What, what, what yes. halcyon days they were. Yeah, I do remember it was at Burke's Backyard. Eventually you could get a fax sheet by fax. Oh, <laughs> I do remember well. this. <laughs> Technology. Dude, I love this- a whole lot of living. Like it's got yes. probably 
the best fart joke in the business in it, actually. <laughs> and, you know, normally I'm really harsh on these segments that don't have any of the late show cast in it, but they just hire actors. But all of these actors are amazing. And I think the guy who yeah. plays this sort of drunkard chef is just the best. So when he comes on, he's brilliant, isn't he? (laughs) Absolutely. It's just hilarious. (laughs) Yes. This chef character, his his name is Keith. He's he's a kind of mashup of Keith Floyd and Bernard King. So he's he's both drunk and camp, and and he's he's absolutely brilliant. But but this this whole sketch, it it seems to go on for for about four or five minutes. But but it's absolutely crammed with gags. Like and really rapid fire as well, and it just cuts from one thing to the other, and and you know just when you think they've run out of ways to use the mountain bike, it comes back again. <laughs> you know, it it's brilliant. It's really it, the only the only part of it which I felt was out of place was that sort of somewhat juxtapositioned sexual harassment bit towards the end of it, which felt slightly out of place compared to the flow of the of the rest of it. We're saying I was thinking, wasn't quite sure what they were trying to do apart from convey the obvious message. <laughs> well, also, I feel like that uh, yeah, that sexual harassment part was more poking fun at uh, the format of lifestyle shows and, yeah, in particular, things like crappy dramatisations. Yeah, totally um, yeah. agree. And, and this is a very crappy dramatisation. You know, like you've... <laughs> you've got this kind of old boss and a young secretary and, and he's like really massaging her shoulders in a really creepy way and it goes on forever. But also, is this also the first uh, the first uh, showing of what was basically Wallaby Jack in uh, Tommy Tommy G going through a, a, a trash bin with the syringes <laughs> coming out and you can hear the audience being horrified <laughs> yeah. at that. that I don't think that joke. was actually Tommy though. No, I don't know if it was, but it was a no, really just... great... A uh, stunt glove or whatever it was. Yeah, syringes on every finger. Yeah, he was the environment reporter. I, but you, you're right. I think you can see the the kernel of the idea of Wallaby Jack in that that character. And, and also, yeah. just back to the chef. I love that the recipe is a little bit Audrey Gordon esque. Like, because if you look at it, it's actually a great recipe. <laughs> Uncooked <laughs> rice, but it's like <laughs> that, that actually would go down a treat with the truffle oil and. <laughs> <laughs> and and sun dried tomatoes, which just like that's that's so so nineties, like that, yeah, that's so nineties food wankery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is, it is a fantastic. Uh, it's a fantastic sketch, but I do remember at the time being annoyed because I was wondering where all my favourite late show cast members were. <laughs> going, oh, why is this still going on? But it is looking back at it, it is fantastic. Yeah, they poke fun with all sorts of parts with the format. So you know, talking about. Um, you know, contra- uh, no, well, I, was, I, was, I was thinking more about the um, the looking at the Albatross Island Health Resort, uh, you know, taking advantage of a freebie in return for a plug. Uh, and then there's other sort of lifestyle TV tropes, like uh, it's a little uh, it's a little known fact that typing on the screen over the shot of a waterfall helps link two unconnected segments together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're they're really kind of deconstructing television at that point. Yeah. 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 Although, mind you, there, there was quite a lot of uh, there was quite a glut of lifestyle TV to deconstruct because you had 
Burke's Backyard, you had Healthy, Wealthy and Wise. Channel 7 had one earlier on the Saturday night uh, hosted by Trisha Goddard called Live It Up. But they were really wailing into the wind, weren't they? Because this was the beginning of the end of TV. Like, (laughs) you can forget about scripts and actors. Remember how we started the season of The Late Show and they were taking the piss out of Cluedo and it's like it's six months later or something and now you've just got shit on TV and you can forget about the fun times of Cluedo because make a risotto or what was that what was that guy Huey he just always made a ragu remember that (laughs) you just always stew up some veggies and throw in some beef and just uh, sit back and drink a bottle of wine there's your ragu (laughs) (laughs) Back in those days, yeah, there was a big glut of lifestyle programs. But these days, there's entire channels full of this stuff now. Mm. Well, and also <laughs> the, the irony being, you know, as we, again, I'm sort of getting forward promoting a little bit here, but, you know, with high interest rates, godlessness <laughs> and whatnot, it's like, you know what? This is <laughs> Don't going. go there. Don't go there. <laughs> Don't go there. <laughs> interest rates. No interest rates. <laughs> like oh, pardon me. <laughs> Cool. Well, after the opening titles, we've got the opening remarks with Mick and Tony missing their couches. And uh, this is where your program guide really comes in, Daniel. You've proved that they were really live because they switched over to Channel 7 for the Boob Fest. Although, mind you, it, it would have only been the last half hour of the movie, so I don't know how, how many boobs would have they would have uh, gone past. In, <laughs> yeah. the, in the in the first ninety minutes of the movie, when they show Channel Seven on the screen with Up the Creek, and Tony was absolutely loving it because he is that big movie nerd. They ended up talking about uh, unemployment figures, and then they were giving. I've pump- got the paper. Yeah, I saw yeah. the paper. <laughs> he lives for pantomime. Fifteen hundred pages. You needed Egyptians to help you take a back of this. <laughs> Now it's like, I've got the paper. <laughs> it's a platform for re-election, isn't it? That looked like fun. Can I give that a go? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he lives for pantomime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tony was so right, though. You do, you did need Egyptians for that paper because um, I used to deliver the Sunday paper because it had so many extras and leaflets and stuff. And mm-hmm. my mic was so overladen that I lost control of it once and crashed into a wall. Oh, <laughs> oh. oh was, my God. I said, no more Sunday paper delivery for me. And then they start uh, pointing out that John Hewson forgot the words to the Australian National Anthem. Do you remember this at all? Anyone? No. I don't, no. Yeah, and then, you know, they were suggesting that, you know, they could go a more popular song like Ted Mowry's Jump In My Car. And that's when Tony starts pointing out, you know, who uses the word girt and everything like that and other <laughs> songs they could use, Cold Chisels, Cheap Wine, or let uh, Mick suggest something. Australia, you're so fine. You're so fine, you blow my mind. Australia! Australia! Australia, what a pity. It's a good you... anthem. It's a good anthem. <laughs> <laughs> I still sing this, by the way. Um... <laughs> Trying to explain uh, our anthem to an American, Goethe being one of those words, and I'm not even making that up, um, is difficult. And I just always want to break out Tony Basil's Mickey because it just feels (laughs) a a better fit. Yeah. Have you thought of trying the push bike song, Stephen, which which is another of the songs that they suggest as our national anthem? Which that, I have to admit, I had no idea what that was. So 
Every time I hear the song, I remember that, but it was just like, I guess it's like a, 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 a black hole in my memory. I just didn't never recall it until I actually hear them singing that song. I, I think I bought out at school. <laughs> That's yeah. just made the promo. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> we can pack up and go now. Yeah. <laughs> Guessing this is where Camilla Parker-Bowles was kind of seeping into the news because Tony uh, references Mick, uh, all the photos, that, all the love tapes that they're going to release of Mick being with Camilla. Squidgy Ah, yes, it is. That's it. So other than the opening, we have news desk with Tommy G. And I won't do the boom tishes, mate. So, uh, <laughs> but, thank, thank you. I, I'll keep. I'll put my gavel down and my air horn <laughs> to one side. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right, but news desk with Tommy G. And President-elect Bill Clinton chases one man in America who didn't vote for him. And this is all footage related. So, uh, And British and Russian leaders agreed to become official pen pals as a trading little um, books. China's Ding Xiaoping struggles with new poppy McNuggets. So, yeah, you know what? Yeah, that deserves the boom tish. Come on. All right. <laughs> there we go. But that's we go. more or less in reference to uh, a little bit later on with Gareth Evans. Although, mind you, the, fo- the footage that was used was kind of funny enough on its own because it, like, it, it sort of yeah, showed that old person... Uh, yeah, basically. Uh, well, he's got some food in his chopsticks, and and they fall yeah. off the yeah. chopsticks. Basically, I mean, Deng Xiaoping was very, very old at this point, so yeah, probably a bit senile and unable to eat so mm. easily. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for being my vocabulary for me, Alison. <laughs> Any time. Any time. So, political unrest in Victoria, with thousands of marching against Jeff Kennett's workplace reforms, and police were stretched to the limit. And this is where Tommy points out that the horses with the goggles saying that they're short-sighted. And <laughs> poor horses. They're only just protective goggles. Anyway, uh, Jeff Kennett is accused of uh, by workers of right-winged p- tactics and Kennett's cabinet denies that and that's when they showed footage of, uh, I'm guessing that's the neo-Nazi group in Melbourne. And that edit actually felt really smooth. And so actually for a second uh, I sort of was slightly sort of just brought out, you know, taken out of my flow going, okay, they're showing the, the footage of the actual march, the real march, and then the cut very smoothly to this other neo-Nancy march. And you think, oh, wow, what a smooth transition there that kind of shocked me for a second. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. especially with the Tasmania one as well because there was the march down there in Hobart and uh, against the Groom government and uh, there was a turnout of 200 heads with... <laughs> And because it was Tasmania, that's 100 people. So, sorry, what did I say? 200? 2,000 heads. There we go. <laughs> Still 100 people, though. Yeah. Fix yeah. it in post. It's fine. Yeah, fix it in post. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone's wondering if uh, people still make those types of jokes about Tasmania, uh, my daughter had a magician visit her school um, this week and he made a joke about someone having several hands when they held out their hand to participate in a trick. So I was like, that's the second, <laughs> second joke I've heard this week. Yes. That insults. And, 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 and Tom goes goes into instant defence mode saying, come on, 18 shows in, one Tasmanian joke. I think we're entitled to it. Yeah. <laughs> France and Greenpeace boat is tailing a Japanese ship full of plutonium, was rammed from behind and authorities are baffled as uh, 18 Sienna uh, was... 
10,000 miles away. Now, I didn't get that joke originally, but it's later explained in the show. So uh, I... Yeah, so, uh, yeah. yeah. I, was, I was a big Formula One fan at, at the time. Um, I actually had to go back and double check because, uh, spoiler alert, Edinson actually passes away several years later um, <laughs> while racing. And I had to double check to go, oh, okay, how, 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 close to this is, how close is this being to inappropriate? But it was luckily about two years apart. Thank goodness for that. And yes. now, England, Anglican Church agreed that women can be ordained as priests. However, women can only have a limited role in celebration of the Eucharist with a uh, woman. Washing up scene yep. of the uh, yep. Eucharist cup. Nice, yep. nice. nice. <laughs> this is, this is pretty much a rehash of that uh, women in the army joke uh, yeah. from, from last episode. Mm-hmm. And it got pretty much the same reaction from the audience, really. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> sexist. No, really. But yeah. he, he goes... That joke was sexist and sacrilegious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Two in one. <laughs> and minister responsible for international disasters. Uh, yeah, that's uh, pretty funny. Um, Senator Evans <laughs> uh, makes uh, headlines after a gaffe uh, about the Chinese supreme leader eating puppies, hence the reason with the puppy McNugget. Evans, Rob, uh, tries to make the correction, saying that he was out of context. We were at an informal drink session when I made the puppy joke and I was quite clearly speaking, you know, off... Uh, the record. Off my face. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was pissed, clearly pissed. I was doing... Uh, I was Sea shanty songs. Yes. <laughs> from uh, the puppy joke master. <laughs> absolutely. Um, yeah. Um, I'm still recovering with Barocca's. Yeah. How <laughs> in this bit? Like, I love it. Yeah. It's just like he goes to town with it. <laughs> it. It is, you know, one of those sketches that you're so glad made the best bits in its yes. entirety because it's just. Was complete classics, and yeah, the head, the head bobbing, <laughs> you know, the ridiculous beard, um, the the again, the sort of self self reference of you know him looking up at clearly at a monitor saying, "Am I Gareth Evans or Ned Kelly?" Yeah. Um, <laughs> this to me still stands the test of time. Yeah, I love the. Way I, I like the so I'm going to deconstruct my own. Impression. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Notice how he does that, and he's shaking his head. Notice how he does that. Yep. There's some really brilliant timing in this as well. Like, like he sort of goes and the puppy joke, and then sort of mm, carries that's right. Yeah. His descriptions of how pissed he is, and um, yeah, just great. And apparently, the governor of Hong Kong's dog was missing. Um, well, number twenty-seven with black bean sauce, according to the sketch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't encourage him, please. <laughs> yeah. All right. But the story that on um, there's a, an archive story on the BBC website about what exactly happened. But it was uh, when the then governor of Hong Kong, um, Chris Patton, had a missing family pet dog, and then uh, Gareth Evans said they'll turn it into orders for Deng Xiaoping, who I am told eats four puppies a day. Um, the article goes on to say that fortunately the senator was spared any serious repercussions as his comments were greeted with a very undiplomatic sense of humour. The Chinese embassy in Canberra stated, we are unable to comment on Mr Deng's culinary habits, but four puppies a day seems a little excessive. So so easy on Gareth Evans as well. He got away mm. with murder, that guy. He had an affair. He just was a dodgy... But to be yeah. fair, the the affair didn't come out until after he'd left government, I think. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. The third anniversary of the collapse of the Berlin Wall, and in celebration there was street theatre, stone throwing, German folk dancing, fun run, and a bonfire with footage accompanying all the descriptions, um, which was basically a uh, violent protest. <laughs> That's pure Tommy G. Yeah, pretty much ma- making making the most of uh, whatever footage he could get, probably. Yep. Showbiz, Bob Gerdoff is in Australia for a publicity tour, and you have Gerdoff, Tony, every time he talks, he gets censored due to swearing. What are you doing uh, back in Australia? Quite frankly, told me I've got no f- idea. <laughs> there's a, some kind of f***ing problem with the f***ing sound. No, Bob, it's just we're, we're having to beep out any offensive <laughs> words that, you know, you might say. Oh, f- sorry. <laughs> I'm actually here to interview your Prime Minister, Paul K. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Bob, could you, could you please not use that word? That is so great. I mean, that a very subtle political joke interweaved with a very good impersonation of Bob Geldof. Um, it, it's, it's a double banger there. And also, Tony is wearing the loudest blazer I think you could ever find in any <laughs> costume department. <laughs> like, highlighter fluoro yellow with all this, like, splodgy orange shit all over it. <laughs> I, I think that must have been left over from a natural seven routine. Or <laughs> there is a lightweight human interest story, according to Tom, and Ron Jackson has been working on a fully restored World War One soft width pup for the last seven years, and he finally got the flyer. Yes, with shocking plane crash footage tacked onto the end. A very <laughs> typical Tommy G joke. That one cutting to a a you know polar opposite of the of the intention sort of shot. I really hope whoever was flying that plane that crashed got out because that I reckon if if they had been in the plane when it hit the ground, they would have been dead. Quite a dark joke, really. And now we have a commercial from Shonkstar Records, the hits of Dr. Hook, none of which matched the footage. This felt like this could have been made any time in season one, and they were just uh, trying to fill in time to me. I, I just felt mm. kind of out of place. And also, I, I'd say almost like a sort of classic degeneration sketch. Could have also been made for the pilots. It, it felt dated, even... In nine ninety two, I do remember like ads for this kind of thing, and and they were made with this kind of found footage because there was obviously a lot of interest in like music from the sixties and seventies in the nineties, like you know, so your parents they try they try and encourage your parents to buy all their favorite hits from that era on CD or whatever. But yeah, I mean, it's basically a one joke sketch. This and yeah, it, it's a bit of a filler, isn't it? Yeah. It's a classic nineties thing too. It was really really. Um trendy to sort of bag the shit out of Air Supply and Little River Band. It was like, I'm going to make myself look really youthful by bagging Little River Band. And, like, to be honest, you know someone like Tom Gleiser has got, like, the full collection of Little River Band albums (laughs) in his house. (laughs) Like, he's not fooling anyone. He's not exactly swapping it out for MC Hammer, is he? Yeah. I mean, he actually, he he appears in, in, you know, in that sort of one part of it was uh, another five in a row where where they also mock Little River Band, like Tommy G up there with the in the wheelchair with the beard. This is actually so. This is a sketch from Second City TV of um, a basically you know an, an ad for a, a a record of Jerry Lewis sings Bob Dylan songs. Hi, I'm Jerry Lewis. Bob Dylan has always been a protester, not only to the fashion of his times, but the trends of the thing. 
And that soup was simply marvelous. So when Paramutual Records came to me and said, Hey, Jerry, whoever you want to record, would you just do? Manilow would be good. You want we should give Barry a call? And I said, Uh-uh, I want to do Dylan, because he makes me feel good a lot. And that's why I chose to stop to be on my album, Lewis Sings Dylan. Oh, yeah! <laughs> Anyway, that's, I wanted <laughs> that to is, share that, that one. That is such a spot-on mm. impression, though, I've got to say. Yeah, that, that, and that's Martin Short playing <laughs> playing Jerry Jerry Lewis, which he does several times in Second City TV, and it's always gold. That that particular sketch is actually about three times as long, but I wanted just to sort of compress it down, down to that. They're onto the stage now with Santo. Now, this one is definitely a Santo fan favourite. Because, yes. Yeah, this one was mm-hmm. he, he just it's a nice little setup for what they what he leads into because he does re- talk to the audience and uh he just throws wog left right and center with this and ends up queuing up about uh how a whole lot of living doesn't relate to them and cue healthy wealthy and woggy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One thing I was I was absolutely impressed by and still am to this day is how accurate that title card was to the actual healthy, wealthy and wise, the, mm-hmm. you know, the sort of animation where intentionally it's, it's not smooth. Like, you know, it's meant to be sort of mm-hmm. shaking a little bit, but very high quality. And I think, wow, how much of their budget was thrown into this one, you know, five second graphical shot. <laughs> Yeah. It was very accurate. I do remember that. Maybe they knew yeah. who did the original and they just substituted Wise for Woggy. <laughs> um, guys, can I just, I want to talk about this segment, right? So you know how, like, Santo's dad comes on and says, if you have a car accident, get out and go, we pledge, we pledge. It's an insurance scam. Oh, yeah. It's an insurance scam. Yeah. In the way that, you know, we've got the Tasmanian jokes about Tasmanians having four heads or whatever. The the joke in that era was, you know, that, that people from, I don't know, Greek or Italian backgrounds or whatever, they were always scamming the workers' compensation. You know, if if they tripped over at work, you know, the, the, the joke was that they would try and sue the company for millions of dollars or whatever. And you know it's not it's not really true, but but anyway that that was the joke, and so this this is what that refers to basically. I mean, I, I, this whole thing feels very endearing, but only something a, a sketch that only like Santo could could pull off. And I think mm-hmm. that you know in, in in current day television, you couldn't just you couldn't use the word wog that much um, on, on, on a live sketch. So again, I think it's a good opportunity for the. Uh, Product, product of its time, soundbite. Um, a product of its time. <laughs> Available yeah. now on Spotify. Yes. <laughs> and you can hear the audience reaction with the, uh, you know, with the, the veterinary advice with the, you know, all you need to get rid of your neighbor's pet is this, can of pal, and this, the broken glass. Um, <laughs> the audience is shocked. And concrete, yeah. don't forget. Bruno's backyard, we just have to concrete everything. There's no, yeah. no grass whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, I, I have to say, considering my dad's side of the family is from an Italian background, as a busy wog, uh, I can say that the uh, <laughs> concrete uh, is very relatable, as is the uh, the, the um, Auntie Salvina uh, saying, you must get fat, you have to eat. You're too skinny. You have to eat. You're too skinny. The, the house that's in the um, renovation tips uh, we've seen before because we used it in the Things Wogs Never Do uh, sketch. In fact, you might be able to spot Santo in the cor- uh, bottom right-hand corner. 
it's sort of been it's been repurposed in uh, in this healthy, wealthy, and woggy sketch. Nice. Mm. I think the one thing that doesn't really um, hold up well for me, and I think this is why it wasn't actually kept, I believe, in the best bits, was the was the was the sort of scene after this, which was the uh, dancing, the, the pull out. The, no. Oh. No. 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 Okay. No, I stand no, no. corrected. This is pure Santo pornographic material. <laughs> if you don't know what this is all about, then you just have to take a seat and let the ladies enjoy. Yeah, the ladies fair. were enjoying very much. Yes. That is very, very fair, yes. And now yeah. here's the Santo porn where he... <laughs> <laughs> where he turns, you know, saying that he loves romantic music like Sergio's Fall. Dresses up like uh, the lead singer of Sergio's Four, or at least on the front cover, and, and, sings... and he, he he also says, "I can't believe I'm doing this on national television." By the way, yes, <laughs> and he, yeah, lip syncs to an angel and stay with me to two women that he pulls out from the audience. You're yeah, right. I'll be, you wish you were one of those girls, don't you, Prue? Yeah, oh, it's so lovely, isn't it? And I do love the way he sort of romantically dances with this girl from the audience mm. and then he just sort of flings her off the stage. <laughs> <laughs> that was yeah, now that, that, that first woman, um, I think this might have been mentioned on the DVD credits, I think that's a young Marie Hardy. I thought oh. that too. Yeah. I thought that as well. Maybe this is the beginning of the audience being largely industry. Yeah, to anybody who's listening to this, if you're in the audience of The Late Show, let <laughs> us know, you know, tell us what, uh, tell us what it was like. Uh, you know, being in there, seeing the stuff that, uh, you know, might not have made it to broadcast because we would love to hear it. And Absolutely. If, when Santo does wrap up and, you know, when he sings and the subtitles come up, uh, talking about garlic breath and stuff, the olden days again, but the audience members do sing again as well. Here's a bit of it. Now, they weren't as good as episode 16. Men come from Cooper's Crossing and Darwin in the South. From the dusty plains of Innisfail to the Murrumbidgee's mouth. This felt more forced. Totally. Yeah. Like one big group of people came as a, as, a, as a friend group in 16, all knew the lyrics, all just kicked that off, and, and they just pulled the sound from the audience into, into, like, into, the, into the live show. But this one felt more like maybe they tried to get the audience prepped in advance for it, and there was a little bit of like stage fright, cold feet, and just didn't quite feel as good as, as the previous uh, episode. And they yeah. set the camera on them. Yeah, yeah. it's the olden days thing, and that just felt so daggy. (laughs) I did like how they hovered over that bloke when they said box and wench. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, olden days, episode 17, The Ballad of Front Bottom and Yoko. Strap yourself in. There's a lot of Asian references in this episode. I'm just going to skip a lot of it over because I don't really want to touch it anymore, Uh, not for pedantry or anything like that or uh, product of its time type thing. Yeah, I'm not even gonna. It's not even worthy of that, but uh, not because it's bad or anything. Yeah, judge, judge for yourself. Yeah, exactly. So uh, the the jokes are basically on the level of whiplash, whiplash. So yes. you know they're, they're that level of ethnic stereotyping gang. Yeah, it, it felt in, in my notes here. I, I I wrote that you know the scout the sketch did feel problematic. They were clearly working from limited source material. 
that you could argue is an excuse. You can argue it's not an, not an excuse. When I watch the olden days, I also try and load up the um, the DVD release and just to see what jokes were actually cut or little bits and pieces. And I'm going to press the pedantry button <laughs> because there is when Olden is drinking the Milo, there is half a second removed. That's a lot. That's that's double what Stephen was in the Joy of Sense. <laughs> oh, that is top-notch pedantry, Matt. Oh, well yeah. done. That is, that is, fan- that is the true you know, Sapruta footage, Warren Commission style analysis. <laughs> <laughs> well done. The other part of this sketch which feels problematic is the Rolf Harris references. Mm. We don't have to talk about that. It just feels like this is a sort of a double whammy of a particularly missable episode of the olden days. But it does have that sex scene with mm. uh, Governor Front Bottom, which I don't mind them rolling that back in. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> that was quite raunchy, really, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. He got lucky. Fireside shagging with, with Yoko Ono. With a woman. Yeah, with a woman. Yeah. Yeah. That, 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 that part, if, if you want to talk about problematic, it's, it's everybody going, it's with a woman this time. <laughs> like, yeah. Sort of impl- implying, yeah. implying what we're all, you know. Yeah. Well, I think it, it really... It really removes the subtlety of the sort of general emasculation of, of Governor Frontbottom. Mm, yeah. 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 Mm. But after confirmation that Front Bottom did sleep with someone, there was this joke. You got the leg over? <laughs> yes, I did. All three, as a matter of fact. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's that's um, called back to the Rolf Harris thing. Yeah. Yes, yeah. And, and I think you know, in a vacuum, that joke does hold up very well. Yeah. Mm. And yep. there's also the threat of um, Front Bottom releasing his own sex book. And then having to, to look through all the photographs uh, and uh, explain that uh, his genitalia looks so small, even though the photos <laughs> have been enlarged twice. Yeah. I'm starting to get why Brendan Lunny didn't quite like uh, the olden <laughs> yes. days uh, piss, uh, taking the piss out of Rush now. <laughs> what, just now? <laughs> and now it's time for muckraking. And oh, this is Dr. Aaron Bocare. Uh, fan club here. Yes. Mick, yes. And, Mick and Jace respond to the Prime Minister's concern about too much violence on TV. And Mick thinks there's a few exceptions, like the father from Hey Dad being beaten to death with a blunt mallet. Mm. <laughs> <Boy>. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But then Jace goes, Oh, it should be the little fat kid. And then they say, Oh, we can all agree on that. And then we kind of think today, maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> maybe back to the original statement. <laughs> yeah, right. First time. A product of its time. See, that's where it's useful. Uh, and uh, so the PM says any show that has an AO rating, which would be M or MA rating now, should be shown after 9.30. And so the late show falls under that category. And that's when Mick starts giving Jason nipple cripple. <laughs> Jace gives Mick a, a horse bite. But then they invite from the University of Michigan, uh, Dr. Aaron Bocare. This is such a great sketch. Um, the, 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 you know, when it starts off very academically and, as you'd expect, and then that slap to the face just <laughs> suddenly changes yeah. the entire tone of the sketch. And, and actually, and I had forgotten about that slap. I, I remember the sketch overall, but then you, he gets slapped, and you hear the audience kind of gasp. And then Aaron really very professionally handles that obviously pre-planned reaction, and then just escalates from there. In you know, in classic Aaron Bocair style. Well, yeah, it, 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 it escalates from there. So, yeah, after Jason slaps Aaron, then 
he gets attacked uh, with the champagne bottle from Mick, followed by uh, Jason smashing a table over him, then Mick shooting him, then suddenly being set on fire, uh, Mick pouring the fuel on, Jason lighting it. It's, it's just amazing to, to behold, especially uh, mm. with it all happening live in studio as well. Yeah. Mm. I think it's really indicative of how special... Aaron Beaucaire was that this kind of sketch could happen. You know, mm. it just feels too wild and risky. There's no way anyone would sign off on this now, you know, mm. but he was such no. a pro, you know, and really trusted and, you know, delivered. I, I remember, like, watching this sketch, you know, the first or second time I ever saw it, and I, and I sort of thought, that's a really weird pair of glasses that he's wearing. And, of course, you realise... As the sketch gets going, there's safety goggles, exactly, because he's he's having champagne smashed on his head and coffee tables and then he's being set on fire. But, yeah, it what's what's great about this sketch and why it works is that it's just done so quickly and so neatly. You know, they just go from one thing to the other and you barely notice that it's escalated suddenly to the point where they're setting the guy on fire and then right at the end they're threatening him with a chainsaw. It's the speed and the pace of it that just makes it work. It's such a classic. Yeah, it's great, especially the chainsaw at the end because he's off off screen so it's all just assumed what's going to happen to him and you've seen all of this horrible stuff happen to him and you can only just imagine what's going to happen next that they can't show on TV. (laughs) (laughs) Well. Praise uh, Dr. Aaron Bocare because while he is no longer with us, he passed away, I believe, in 2013, other than The Late Show, and previously he did Das Kapital stuff, but he did special effects for Funky Squad, The Castle, Shonky Golf, The Dish, Russell Court's All Aussie Adventures, um, even Welcher and Welcher, where Santo was part of that show, and uh, Bad Eggs. So um, there's plenty of other Australian shows that he did. He, he was well regarded. It's great to see this, this sketch again and, um, you know, great to see that he was part of ongoing working dog and similar um, projects. The next sketch. Now this one, yeah, I've, I don't even remember this one, but it was a marriage guidance counselling with Celia McDowell, played by Jane. She was expecting four couples on this uh, weekend uh, marriage counselling retreat. Car full of men turn up saying, is this the Heaven's Gate marriage counselling? <laughs> Sorry. That was a great little, quick little joke there. And, um, well, wasn't, wasn't Heaven's Gate the name of one of those cults yeah. that was around? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because she asked yeah. where, they were, where their wives were. It's like, oh, they, they couldn't make it. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> Why is that, guys? <laughs> yeah. So, and the workshop turns into basically an unofficial boys' weekend. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how I feel about this. I'm... I'm trying to like it. I'm trying to find the spirit of the sketch and I get that they're just depicting these, you know, ocker blokes who are shit out of everything. And but I just didn't like it. I just couldn't me, find me, it. Me, me either. They shot several sketches when they were they were at that, you know, Jake was it Jason's family property just comedy before camp. They, yeah. yeah, comedy camp before they made the late and and the, the famous one is the Wild Men sketch, which is which yeah. is pretty good. And and of, of the ones that they shot there, I think this is probably the weakest, which is probably why they've left it to the end. But but really the the kind of the jokes are sort of a bit rubbish, like, you know, Jane's standing there and you know, one of them's looking up her skirt and saying, Oh, she's got red knickers and that's kind of the level of the comedy. So it's it's a bit disappointing. Mm. But I, yeah, I, I agree with you. It's it's very derivative of, of Wild Men, so I, I understand why it's, yeah. it's been let off. But, yeah, it's, it's the mm. same setting. They all seem to be wearing the same flannelette shirts as well as Wild Men. Yeah. yeah. 
I think they've slightly swapped hats or whatever because I think someone else has got the beanie on. But there's also a bit which I noticed where someone pulls out an old school mobile phone, you know, one of those ones with the yeah. big battery yeah. on the back. I, think I had one Did of you those. Spot that? <laughs> yeah. Yep, here it is. Babe, I love you. I told you, bitch. Yeah, as soon as we get home. Yeah, that was a great night. Oh, here you go. Here we go. Here we go. All right, I'll see you on your back. Okay? Love you. Love you. Bye. <laughs> Trevor, it's your wife, mate. <laughs> that, was, that was the one I hated what? the most. That one sucked. <laughs> that, that was the, what was, I guess, called the, the Gordon Gecko mobile phone because oh. it was so massively chunky. Those of yes. you who watched Wall Street back in the day. The, I think the only thing I really liked about this sketch, um, and I'm sure – you would all of you would know more content than I would. It was great to see Jane leading a pre-recorded sketch, despite the fact that the base material was really just didn't hold up. Um, that was my only real sort of major positive thought about this. Yeah, I, I just yeah. Mm. Do you know what else I hated was the um, the headlock that Tommy G puts Jane in, oh, yeah, and then cool. and then yeah. later he says like treat him mean to keep him keen, and he does this mm. with his fist. Yes, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I just I'm trying to get into the spirit of it, but I just felt like saying fuck this. You know, I just yeah. didn't go with it. It's it's just a bit off. It's it's the thing with I think most comedy is that some of it some of it is timeless, but Quite a lot of it is ephemeral, a very fancy word for a product of its time, of course. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, like, yeah, this would have been acceptable back in 92, but, yeah, 30 years down the track, uh, yeah, it's a bit off. I think this is probably tolerated in, in 1992, not acceptable by today's standards completely. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're, they're trying to take the piss out of like sort of problematic husbands really aren't they and and it's it's sort of it's not quite working they're not quite finding the funny in it probably because it it's not a particularly funny topic yeah, to start. probably because husbands are still problematic <laughs> maybe that's yeah. what the problem is yeah. i don't know <laughs> yeah. and then and then also the the sketch ends on this kind of weird note where like essentially it hasn't worked out she sent the men home and sort of the last uh, shot you see is of um, is of uh, Jane as uh, Celia, you know, picking up after them, and then suddenly Mick uh, appearing out of nowhere, wearing a towel and sort of growling at her. <laughs> <laughs> Which I mean, you know, for all the Mick aficionados, I like we we had Santo porn before, and now we've got Mick porn now, I suppose. <laughs> well, that's where they lead into the next segment. Um, and Tony sags into it saying, yeah, you bet you didn't expect that ending, did you? <laughs> so <laughs> this is where the teaser has come in. Man's deepest fear has risen again. Jaws, the revenge. This time, it's personal. <laughs> or undiscovered masterpieces of the cinema, Jaws the Revenge, the fourth instalment of the unsuccessful... De- 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 uh, the, uh, the fourth in the decreasingly popular Jaws series, as uh, Tony <laughs> uh, this, this is uh, The movie is also known as Jaws 87 in Japan. Oh, God. Uh, I, I found that out from uh, Flemish Dog on Twitter. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, unfortunately, that means you have to go through Jaws 1 through 86, which is a hell of a movie. <laughs> yeah. And... Those of you who remember Back to the Future Part 2, there is actually Jaws 19 in the year 2015. (laughs) Now, have any of you watched uh, Jaws of Revenge? I haven't. 
Had I have many, many years ago. It, it is it is utterly trash. I mean, <laughs> Tony, Tony, Tony's breakdown of this film honestly is is covers it from from pillar to post. Um, <laughs> another quick uh, reference to to get this. I apologise. Directed by Joseph Sargent, who was the the director of the original Taking of Pelham One Two Three. Ah, which is a good film. That's a that's a really good film. Yes, the, the, the Kim Beasley theme, for those of you who are <laughs> listeners. Um, Michael, Michael Caine uh, quotes, uh, quoted about this film, says, I've never seen it, but by all accounts, it's terrible. However, I have seen the house that it built, and it's fantastic. Here's the actual quote. He actually uh, had a chat to Tony Martin impersonator Andrew Denton about that. When you bought her <laughs> her first house, what was that like for you? Oh, that, that was incredible for me, for, for my mother to have a house. Because we always, we lived in, well, we grew up in council houses, you know. She was worried you couldn't afford it. What I did is, one of the worst pictures I did was a, a, a picture, I think it was called Jaws, Jaws 4. The Revenge. The Revenge, yeah. Mm. And I, I had a little part in that. And I was paid a million dollars for two weeks' work. And with that money, I bought her the house. And someone said to me, I saw that Jaws 4. He said, it stinks. I said, I haven't seen it. I said, but I've seen the house it bought my mother and it's marvellous. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Oh, my God. Doesn't well, it's a make, happy um, ending for her anyway. Yeah. Doesn't yes. that make Harry Brown even more um, poignant? Yeah. <laughs> the old council house. When I actually tried to get some little bits and pieces that Michael Caine was in Jaws 4. Someone has actually done a supercut a la Gavin Wood houseboat horror style. So here's a little bit of it, just because we, we've got that one quote. Sharks come and go, Ellen. People have got <laughs> nothing to do with it. Give it a kick in the ass. Don't worry, the nightmares will go away. I knew a one-armed piano player once. Took two minutes to play the minute was. <laughs> I said to him, where's the disinfectant? He said, I've left it in town. So I said, what are we going to do? So he says, I'll tell you what we'll do. Come back at lunchtime. All the flies will be in the kitchen. <laughs> and it goes on for like two more minutes, but that was roughly 30 seconds worth. And it's just him saying punchlines and jokes throughout the whole movie. <laughs> he sounds like an old school comedian. Yeah. <laughs> he got made a million for it. Two weeks' work. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still amazed uh, looking at the, the program guides uh, from last week that, yeah, th- this must have been inspired by the movie being on TV last Saturday night. And God, he's got some funny, funny lines in this section, doesn't he? He like, rips it to shreds. <laughs> I love the big Just like the shark. Part fish, part piano accordion. Yeah, part shark, part piano accordion. Yeah. <laughs> So I actually showed this uh, this particular part, like this this sort of segment, to uh, a friend of my, a colleague of mine who was a massive, massive movie fan, and he, an American, absolutely loved it. He's also seen Jaws of Revenge, and again said, you know, this this is the this is the best possible way to view it is actually through this this um, you know this quote unquote review. It's it's a truly terrible film. I, I actually I think that Tony's rating of three dolphins and a Rutger is probably too high. In my <laughs> yeah, there's also quite a good line, and he, he describes the shark as having all the realism of the ghost train at Luna Park. Oh. <laughs> if if you want to watch uh, this uh, segment, it is available on YouTube because pretty much. Any- Every time that uh, Jaws the Revenge has been on TV, I've tweeted it out. Because I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's been a couple of times where it's been shown on SBS Viceland in a series of 
of bad movies. Oh, I do love the line. I do have to mention a few lines that he says that are so good. I love the way he says the cast has just accepted that the shark has reassembled itself. (laughs) 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 And also the bit where... um, the shark has broken into her apartment and checked her diary and followed her down to Hawaii. <laughs> and he brings yeah, out that the, map. The, the map, yeah. <laughs> and got yeah, mentions, her there. <laughs> yeah, and, and mentions that the shark gets there first. Yeah. <laughs> which, the which is the ultimate sort of, uh, you know, gap in, in the plot line. Um, one, one last thing, Matt, is that uh, those of you who are, have a serious interest in movie soundtracks, the soundtrack for Jaws of Revenge was actually released in 2015. So uh, go to your local Brushes store now to pick it up. <laughs> All right. And we have the next sketch, which is uh, well, Rob. Rob sets up on how particular musicians get their start. For example, Chopin. And it's just basically... A routine all about Rob as Chopin. Chopin? Chopin? No, uh, Chopin. Yeah. Chopin. I'm just thinking Chopinzi <laughs> right here on ABC. Yeah. Yeah. That's, right. That's the one. <laughs> yeah, so, and yeah, it's, this looks like it was written by Rob because he's very into it, I should say. <laughs> yeah, I've just written down here 18th century costumes, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the pow- powdered wigs are go-go. Yes, the, the the set the set was sort of strange. It, it, I was reminded of, of the holodeck from from Star Trek: The Next Generation, the kind of the grid pattern behind behind them. Again, this felt like to me a classic sort of D-Gen sketch. You could have seen Michael Veach, um, yeah. you know, there, there as well. And, and again, this this felt a little bit like filler to me. I, I wasn't particularly enthralled by by the humor. I felt it was it was about three. It was about two and a bit minutes long, which to mm-hmm. me was about one minute too long. And it's like they would have taken six hours to or something to get them all suited right. in those costumes, mm-hmm. yeah. with those daggy gags. So I love it. I love it. It's insane. But after having an identity crisis with it, he eventually uh, breaks out and uh, plays... Son of joy again? (laughs) (laughs) And then he does play Billy Joel Piano Man. And now we have the toilet break, and Jane explains that they've been accused of being too Anglo-Saxon in the feel of the tunes that they've been showing. So to keep with Santo's, quote, woggy, unquote, theme, here's John Capendakis. God, there's more Lars in that than the Eurovision Song Contest, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> he's got a pretty good voice, actually. For for yeah. he's a taxi driver, apparently. So so yeah, well well done to John. But but I I love that kind of 1960s drumming in the background going on as well. Yeah, it's good fun. This yeah. was actually a ripper. It was great. There's not much to yeah. that off. I I I agree. I actually thought his voice was great. What really stuck with me was those. Really big mutton chop sideburns. Yeah, oh, yes. oh, yeah. yeah, and with Santo stole those for the sketch earlier on. Yes, <laughs> that is a yeah, that is a very late sixties, early seventies look, isn't it? The the big sideburns. Yes. Yeah. And now the next uh, sketch is a live one where they're on stage and it's Tommy G hosting uh, how to do a dinner party part two dinner party conversations. Brilliant! Brilliant! Mm. Brilliant! Brilliant! Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually wondering who the two actresses were, obviously apart from Jane. Uh, I couldn't uh, couldn't 
easily figure this out. I thought Daniel's very deep dive into the information here may have pulled this out. The one um, sitting between Rob and Santo looked very familiar to me. I couldn't mm. quite pick who she was. Same. The, the blonde the blonde woman, I know who she is. Her, her name is Janie Anderson, and, and she actually used to date, I think I'm right about this, both, both Matt King and Greg Fleet at, at different times. But she she was a sort of comedian actress herself, and she, I remember she had a show that I saw at the Adelaide Fringe in around '98. So that's Janie Anderson, who's the blonde one. the The other woman with the brunette, I've seen her in lots of things too, and I have no idea who she is. I know, I know, I know, I know, because I just realised as you were talking, um, I'm thinking. I kept thinking her name was Sarah Chadwick, but I was totally wrong. And it wasn't until then I realised the other comedy show she was on beforehand, and that was Colin Carpenter. And then, bam, Vicky Blanche. Ah, yes. Then, yeah, and then IMDb right now, and it says dinner party guest. Because I'm thinking. Yeah, I used to watch Colin Carpenter. Yeah, yeah I remember her mm, now. Yeah, she yeah. was in like the first uh, one, two seasons. You're putting, you're putting too many vowels in yeah, Colin program. Colin Carpenter. Sorry. Colin Carpenter. Colin Carpenter. So back to dinner party conversations. Yes, <laughs> that is just like one yes. of those sketches that you just play over and over. And being quite young at the time, uh, I wondered if this pretentiousness was commonplace in in uh, households across Australia, or, or if this is. <laughs> and I don't know. I didn't have that type of household that had dinner parties. So I'm not sure if you guys had I, witnessed all this in, I, in real life. <laughs> as an adult, I've definitely seen the spoiler in many different situations. Someone who really <laughs> wants to they, 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 they suck the air out, out of the room every time there's, uh, you know, any yes. positive story. Oh, my, my family had a lot of fucking dinner parties. And I think... <laughs> Not literally. I, I actually think that they killed it for our generation because we're shit at hosting a dinner party. Like, we don't do it. We're like, no, no thanks, let's go out. Like, let's not create a mess at home. <laughs> well, the, the other thing is, of course, we, we don't have big enough houses because we can't afford them. So or, <laughs> oh, yeah, even in some yeah. cases, we don't even have dinner tables. So Nobody does house, dinner parties anymore. No. All no. we ever do nowadays is get on Google Meet and record podcasts. <laughs> that's right. Pretty much. That's, yeah. that's a typical Saturday exactly. night. Yeah. Look, we're all too busy drinking lattes and eating avocado toast. We can't afford anything <laughs> else yeah. There are some extraordinary lines from Rob as the spoiler yeah. talking about, you know, have you read uh, the book? Oh, it's twice as good as the film. Greece was ruined 20 ago. years ago. Have you been to Turkey? <laughs> and, the and, ultimate and, one of, is the pregnancy one, though. Yes, mm. Oh, yes. You know, giving birth would have to be one of the most profoundly moving experiences I could ever have. You've obviously never stood on the summit of Mount Everest. <laughs> <laughs> That would have snow on it because it's it's winter. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. mountain. Yeah, <laughs> all the more yeah. funny to me that those two had five children together. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that must come up a lot. <laughs> I, I like to think that after Jane gave birth to their first child, you know, and she said, "Oh, that was an amazing experience." And loved it. <laughs> you know, it comes in with the the Mount Everest thing. <laughs> Well, the most... I'm sure that did, that didn't happen. It didn't. <laughs> the recently returned traveller who just happens to pick up local accents in a short period of time. The transit lounge. Transit yeah. lounge. What, what a lounge. What a lounge. Yeah. <laughs> Stephen, that's just your normal accent now. How, yeah, exactly. how much of your accent? What, what a lounge. Yeah. <laughs> that was a funny line. Uh, bringing the mood down. This is where Vicky Blanche, uh, 
you know, decides to say, you know, a 40-year-old woman has, was nearly murdered here three days ago. Has anyone else been murdered? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they, they do mention it in, in the, the DVD commentary, and I think you're, you're about to mention it as well, that, uh, yeah, that very old phrase, four-year-old woman. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. She, she oh, misspoken. No, 14. 14. No, no, that's later. I heard four. Oh, right. Well, yeah. I, yeah. Richard, I thought it was four too, but I wrote down 40 just in case I heard it wrong, but everyone else has picked it up. Mm. So I'm going, yeah, yeah, I was right then, yeah. And talk, talking about uh, enjoying a great meal and there's on the other side of the world, two million Somalian children are dying of starvation. Does Santa say, does they just need to eat? Yeah. <laughs> which, which is actually um, a, 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 a subtle similar gag in the Satanic Sketches, um, yes. which actually has Rob and Santo in that almost that exact same setup and punchline. That was the music clip one. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Mix one, uh, the partner who doesn't talk. That was that was so great because um, she, you know, pulled from the audience, clearly a bit nervous, but then has the the, the, comedic, uh, the comedic timing to when he says, you know, 14-year-old, and then she, then she sort of says, and a virgin. Which he didn't quite expect. And you can sort of see yeah. him get thrown a little bit and it was the, a really great line thrown in at home. And then he comes yeah. back with, no go on either count then? Yeah. <laughs> and, and he goes, you're being talkative now. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> slightly problematic joke that, you know, asking mm. for someone who's 14 and a virgin, but, you know, we can move on. Yeah, exactly. I, I think the good part about it is that the audience member, like you were saying, Steve, is like, She's got it, like she's got the upper hand. So yes. it does sort of work quite well. Yeah, and also everything to try and kill the dinner conversation. I'll tell you what's coming up. The new series of Rumpel. Oh, my. Oh, God. Brilliant. 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 I've been to the old band, actually. Yeah, it's not, it's, a, not, oh. yeah, it's not a patch on the German version, Das Rumpelchicken. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, just to make you reminisce for Quantum. What a great show. <laughs> yes. Other than the dinner party sketch, uh, we have Piss Week Science World. Oh, yeah. hello. Where this. the future yeah, has never looked so pissy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's felt like one of the weaker um, Piss Week sketches which i guess is probably saying something to me the the the, the greatest part was the font um the the kind of classic you know 1970s sci-fi font that they were using for the all the various um descriptions of the of the amusements within yeah. uh, piss week science world some piss week worlds um are complete winners because of the visual and some piss week worlds i think the um narration is the star and this is one of the ones where i think the narration is amazing because, like, yes. the lines is like, learn how toast is made. Roll <laughs> <laughs> two bits of wood together. <laughs> Squint at the sun. <laughs> and learn and how to discover to... the what. The <laughs> say... of sticky tape. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can take a unique glimpse into the present. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> My favourite one was the the wonders of gravity, which is literally a kid jumping off a bin. (laughs) (laughs) Now we have time for Graham and the Colonel, and they're just rushing straight from the dinner party sketch. Brilliant, brilliant, (laughs) brilliant. brilliant. (laughs) I know, it's like they've 
they've got it's like they want to deconstruct what they just did in the dinner party sketch, which is fantastic because it's a great sketch. Yeah. But they can't get into character. Well, this really. whole Graham and the Colonel was an absolute disaster. <laughs> yeah. In the in the best possible way. I mean, at one point where I think one of the early one of the early jokes they did. And you hear the groan from the audience, and then and then they, they both kind of pause and they say, "Can you hear something?" It's like air conditioning. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, so, other than the Prime Minister's uh, eleven cricket match, where the Colonel thought that he was older than that, that's where that groan came in. That yeah. big one. Uh, yes. <sighs> Adelaide Grand Prix. They congratulate Gihad Berger and they farewell Nigel Mansell. And Senna is pursuing a career in dodgems. Now, I looked up what they were referring to, and now this throws back to the news desk at the very start where about the Greenpeace and Japanese boat type thing. Here's the actual bit where it happens in Adelaide Grand Prix. Listen carefully. Now, both go out. Senna destined not to finish the Australian Grand Prix. Yeah. It's a shame. Yeah. Mr. Well, I mean, Farley, Murray Walker, who actually passed away just just a couple of weeks ago, actually. I really, I I really enjoyed the, um, then the the pre-recorded, uh, you know, mini vignettes they had of, you know, at at the supermarket and taking the bins out and, you know, (laughs) just constantly running into each other. That was, that was fantastic. Um, yeah, I did like that. Well, this is where that big blooper came out. So I'll just play it. Graham, how much, I know you're listening when you do that. Graham, how much, how much are those cars worth? Three quarters of a million dollars. That's a lot of money. That's a lot, That's of, a money. lot of money. And they don't even slap a cast. Cla- no, hang on. They don't even slap. <laughs> there was a sixth Relax. person at that dinner party. <laughs> they leave their cars on the side of the road and they don't even slap a. Ca- <laughs> this has all been misspelled here. They don't even slap a club steering lock on the wheel. <laughs> The auto cue doesn't break down for you. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Just, just throws the script towards the camera as soon as he's he's managed to spit the club lock line out, and gets uh, congratulations from uh, a few of the other cast members. And this actually, I think, is why this segment is is so great placed at the end of the evening because. <laughs> So yeah, their energy is probably waning a little bit, and then the fact that they cl- things clearly go off the rails, and then like, and then like, Mick comes up and pats Santa on the back, and then sort of like walks <laughs> off camera again, and, and you know it's this, like, this kind of camaraderie of like it's okay, mate, just just keep keep going kind of thing. Yeah. And Robin Santo, I mean, through, you know, in every segment of this particular you know character sketch that they do in the series, is always just so. Um, sort of free-flowing and they just let mistakes kind of just wash over them and they keep going and they push through it. And it's always, always very funny. There's just Graham's listening face. So you know that when he's got that, that look and he's, he's got his finger on his mouth, he's thinking, he's thinking. <laughs> <laughs> That's, it's always a great way to, to get the audience to laugh. There was flummoxed. There was a flummox for the mm, whiteboard. Yeah. 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 used. Well, don't we know it? Yep. That's when they <laughs> get out a Roger's thesaurus. <laughs> And the Colonel goes, that's outdated, and he brings out the Keating's thesaurus. So it's more or less about Paul Keating's uh, put-downs, really, and goes, look yeah. up worse up for Senate, unrepresentative swill, and <laughs> leader of the opposition, rancid conservative. Yeah, you just, you don't, you don't get such 
florid put downs like that anymore. No. So I, I, I once showed someone like an American a, a super cut from Order in the House. Um, coming up next, um, of Paul <laughs> Keating jabs at you know at um, at John Hewson and at uh, other you know um, Alexander Downer others, and people are gobsmacked at you know Americans are gobsmacked at, at the at the level of of insults that that fly between you know the the, the prime minister, the, the head of government, and uh, other members of the parliament. The I'll do you slowly. That's yeah. a fun. which is a classic, of course. <laughs> Yeah, and there was the classic, I think, uh, in 93 when Keating called um, the Prime Minister of uh, Malaysia recalcitrant. Mm. Does anyone remember that one? Yes, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. American politics is a bit politer, really, isn't it? I mean, until the Trump era. Oh, until or, Trump. <laughs> it got pretty rancid, but, you know, you can't imagine Barack Obama or um, or Joe Biden sort of using phrases like unrepresentative swill. Yes. <laughs> As they went on in the night, they were talking about the new censorship uh, system. That's when they started to flash the, was it mystified silence light? They got yeah. the use out of it again. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because they're talking about the EEC GEF talks with uh, <laughs> Senator Evans and that's when they throw it back to uh, – I thought it was Rob. Ned Kelly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the colonel did say some – things in regards to fast post and stuff like that, which that went nowhere, nor we got a... I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. I, <laughs> I really do apologise. Yeah. I did like that bit where it goes, oh, um, Graham, are you going to the Remembrance Day ceremony? And uh, or Graham asked the colonel, and the colonel goes, of course I went to the ceremony, I'm a colonel. <laughs> the piper didn't um he didn't know the thing from rin tin tin alas that's the one that's it where he apologized yes but he's he's got something that that i would quite like which is a red poppy that squirts water out which is which again is a, is a joke you probably wouldn't make these days in an in an era when you know anzac day and remembrance day are very much revered but back in the 90s people used to kind of take the piss slightly out of veterans and remembrance a bit and and well really after John Howard, that that attitude changed quite a lot. So, so yeah, interesting to see this. But what a what a classic comedic prop gag that was, though. You know, yeah, sort of Bust, yeah. Buster Keaton, Marx Brothers style, squirting the water out of out of the flower, which I wasn't expecting, having not remembering remembered this sketch from you know from thirty years ago. I was expecting some big style, like massive poppy that he would drag out, like the like the I think the, the Viv Richards cap we'll see I think later on in the in the series. Yeah. Yeah, and then there's a classic line uh, when he says at the Shrine of Remembrance there wasn't a dry eye in the house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, right. it, was all, it was all working, yeah, it was all working up to that drum shot. It, it yeah. was. That pretty much wraps up Graham and the Colonel and then they go to closing, but because they're so pushed for time, that's it. They just roll the credits. Mm. Any Easter eggs in the credits, Daniel? Well, yeah, there, there was no time for the uh, for anything on the couch and there was also no time for the audience ticket promo either. No. They just go straight into the credits. The only one uh, that's worth mentioning is um, uh, Tracy Spring, who works in the staging department, uh, who was uncredited as um, holding up the sign and conversing with Tony during undiscovered masterpieces of the cinema. Um, as Tony said, that was how Adriana Xenides got started. Yes. <laughs> There's also a, a funny credit from Michael Hirsch. I don't know if you've got this one, Daniel, but I, I wrote oh, it down. It. It's, it's healthy, wealthy and Yiddish. So following <laughs> on the, the theme of lifestyle programs, a reference to Michael Hirsch, who I, I'm assuming is Jewish based on yeah, that. That's interesting. Mm. Oh, Hirsch. Makes sense. I, of course, yeah. <laughs> 
I also noted um, that this episode had eight pre-recorded segments and seven live segments, which felt without going back and actually counting the the previous 16 episodes feels very pre-recorded heavy. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe I think it's always like that. I think, I think that's, that's about roughly what the ratio is. It's, it's a bit, it's a bit half and half really, isn't it? Because they, they need a break from the studio stuff. So they, they mix in the, the uh, pre-recorded, but one one thing I did spot about this episode is how early in the episode the olden days is, because normally it's a bit later in the show. But but yeah, it, it was it really was quite early in the show in, in compared to the general running order. Yeah, yeah you, you 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 bring up a, a good point, uh, uh, Stephen, about um, what the ratio is uh, between live and, and pre-recorded. It's, it's not something I've, I've ever thought to to go back and uh, calculate. Yeah, I sort of wonder how, how it compares to other programs like SNL, for instance. Yeah. I mean, SNL has definitely become more pre-recorded dependent um, because I think I just up there just, you know, sheer schedule of shooting and, and rehearsal. But a, a lot of SNL, which is also 90 minutes too, as, as opposed to 60 minutes, um, yeah. is is a lot, still a, a, lot, a lot of live sketches, also a lot of commercials. So it's, uh, you know. Yeah, it's it's, more, SNL yeah. normally what they've got, like sort of maybe three or four pre-recorded mm-hmm. things. And the rest of it's all live sketches. Yes, in the last ten years, they've added something called the SNL Digital Short. Which, if any of you, any of you have seen any of the sort of Andy Samberg, Lonely Island um, yeah. know, music sketches, um, that's become very prominent. But they, they definitely are doing more pre-recorded stuff than what they would have, you know, back in say like the nineties. You know, comparing to you know to when the Late Show was out. Mm. I think you're right, though, because I remember when we first started watching this season. There was a lot more like cutting back to the news desk in the middle of the show, and mm. so yeah, there must have been less of these longer filmed bits because they were yeah. relying quite heavily on the stuff they'd done, you know, for the Channel Nine pilot and whatever. And now they're making mm. their own crazy eighteenth-century <laughs> costumes <laughs> go for two and a half minutes. Now, before we wrap up, because that is the end of the episode and also the podcast uh, for this time, anyway, we've still got a few more. I've been working on something during the week and I've only two people know about this, but I'm considering releasing some really limited edition stuff for this podcast only of some merchandise. Now, this is going to be visual here, but I will put a tweet out for it if we all agree upon it. Now, this is... It's meant to I can see a bit. Yeah, I can see it. Okay. Well, oh, yes. Nice. Yep. Okay. It's a Warnicky, Fidgen, and Oliver notepad. So <laughs> To write down your bitchy thoughts about things that you see around you. Yeah. yeah. So there's that <laughs> to one. Send in, to send in your letter to the green guy. Yes. And yes. also <laughs> a pedantry. Yes. Uh, yes. Coffee, yes. Mug. Okay. coffee mug. Now, if when you put down the coffee mug, does it have my voice saying pedantry? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that that would be fun. So it'll be <laughs> pedantry. That's the one. Yeah, nice. So um, yeah, if we all agree upon that, I might release those just for this yeah. podcast. So um, you, can, you can call them our products of their time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. yes. Oh, nice. <laughs> that round of applause and a. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Unless anyone's got anything else to offer or anything, um, yeah. Two, two very quick thoughts, Matt. Sure. Um, first of all, uh, the, the the gravity equation in Pissing Science World was G equals 
the square root of hx cubed plus two, which is clearly just a nonsense formula. <laughs> um, and with my uh, rimshot cop hat on, um, that, that we've had three rim shots this episode. So I think that's a, oh, that's a, a reduction good. down. I think that was down from about fifty from episode sixteen. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. How, how do you how do you define a rim shot for for the uninitiated? Uh, please do this. Do, do the sting mat. There we yeah, go. That's, that's four now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, man. See, I, I just call that a tush. you know. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, that pretty much wraps up uh, episode 17 of this podcast, the Champagne Comedy Podcast, as well as season one, episode 17 of The Late Show. So, yeah, feel free, as I mentioned at the very beginning, if you met it this far, well done, uh, to send in your favourite Late Show quote. And, yes, Steve, yours is part of it as well. So, well done, mate. Uh, send it to champagnelateshow at gmail.com or tweet us at TLS Champagne and visit our website, champagnecomedy.com. So I just want to say, uh, well, other than my name is Matthew, thank you so much for joining us, uh, Prue, Kim, Daniel, Alison, and Stephen. Thank you so much. Thank it's you. It's been so great. Yay. 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 Great to have you. All right, and we're seriously running over time, so it's time yeah. to sign out. Thank you so much. Catch you next time. Make sure you subscribe and give us a five-star rating on iTunes and all that crap. <laughs> just the five-star. Bye. 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 See ya. Catch you next episode. Thank you for listening to the Champagne Comedy Podcast, created by fans for the fans. For more information on this podcast, please visit champagnecomedy.com. Produced by Matt Fulton Productions, mattfulton.com.au.